Alright, alright, everybody. What's good, what's good, what's good? So I'm doing this new, this thing that I've been having in mind that I, everybody should suggested that I should do. Um, It's called JUI's Podcast. This is basically going to be a podcast where I'm going to have guests and I'm going to interview them and ask them questions that, you know, the the popular mass people want to know or things that I want to know, things that interest, you know, people. And I've been having it. I've been having it in mind for quite some time, and I thought that that I didn't have the right equipment or whatever to do it. Because right now I'm just doing this shit with my turtle beaches for my Xbox, whatever the case may be. But I've been having this vision for this podcast because I have deep discussions with my friends that a lot of people have requested that I do a podcast with, and I want to have different guests. And I also wanted to start the first podcast off with just me by myself, just giving a basic background. Of who I am and what, how did social media come about? When did you know what I'm saying, et cetera? When did all of this start? So, with that being said, this podcast is gonna be called "Who Is Corey Cash." All right, so I'm gonna start off by saying um, I was born in a, in in Manhattan, moved to the. Moved to the Bronx and Grand One Six Nine. I mean One Six Seven and Grand Concourse. I ping pong a lot through Harlem and the in the Bronx, but mainly where I learned the things that was like valuable to me, to me personally was like Harlem. Like I learned how to dribble the ball between my legs at seven in on One Fortieth Park and Lenox. Um, we got evicted and then about like I was born all right. So when I lived in the Bronx in the early nineties. My mom and my dad wasn't they wasn't together, whatever the case may be. So it was like a lot of that going on in the house. It was like a broken home in a sense, but not a broken home. Because I still had a relationship with my pops, but I also sensed the um the separation in the house. So we we moved to um we was living on 169, a 1278 Grand Concourse, I think um 3E if I'm not mistaken, or 4E. Um I grew up there. First, first sport I played was baseball because Grand Concourse was um, dominantly Puerto Rican people and Dominican people. So it was just Spanish. You know what I'm saying? So I learned bachata. I learned all of that. I, I remember the time I went. I put gel in my fucking head because I wanted to be Spanish so fucking bad. I'm a only nigga on the dance floor in a fucking shirt <laughs> with gel in his head, looking like a fucking dickhead. Um. It was just an experience, bro. Like, I wasn't really into basketball at that time. So, the apartment was in my mom's name. So, we get uh we get kicked out by the landlords. We get evicted. Deadass. We deadass get evicted and we get sent to a shelter in Harlem. Um, As a matter of fact, we didn't even go to the shelter in Harlem. We went straight to 149 shelter. We slept on the floor for two days. We slept on the floor for two days in this shelter thing, and then they get you into it's a tier one, they're tier two. They get you into a um into a shelter actually. It's like a homeless center. I remember sleeping on it on the floor with my mom, that cold ass floor. It was on located like on 149 the Grand Concourse. We slept on there, or whatever the case may be. Then they put us in tier one. That was like 128th and something. Like I can't really remember the thing. That was the first shelter I've been to, and it's like being, I think around this time I'm like 8, 7, I ain't really knowing what's going on, and I can't really tell the struggle or, or, or the hurt through my mom's. Like, I'm just watching my mom's just 
raise a boy and just do everything by herself as a boy. And then my pops being away and running the streets. He was like an alcoholic in a sense. But my pops being away so away for so long, just like running the streets and shit like that. He wasn't really like when I lived on one when I lived in the Bronx, like when we lived in the Bronx, I would like chill with my pops. He would take me out and shit like that. He did pop shit when it was time. Like he did he did his shit. I can't lie to you. I'm not gonna sit here and say he was a bad father because that's rest in peace to him, but he wasn't like a terrible person, like didn't want to take care of his kid. It was just the circumstances of the relationship, it just wasn't working between him and my mom's. My mother had my mother ended up moving on to getting a boyfriend, you know what I'm saying, in the nineties. Whatever the case may be, um, I go shoot. Uh, moving forward, um, back to the, when we lived in Harlem, we lived in the shelter in Harlem. Whatever the case may be, so I wasn't really going outside that much. I like it wasn't really a big deal for me. It was just like I was just wanted to get through it to see what it becomes. So then they move you to tier two after you hit the shelter. Tier two, uh, tier two. We was living on Hunt Thirty Seventh in Lenox between Lenox and Seventh. This is where I learned. How to play ball, manhunt, all this shit that I needed to know and learn as a, a a young black boy. I learned it in Harlem. Like Harlem is me. Like that's how I always felt. I never felt like I was a Bronx person. It's just I wasn't battling the identity. Like I just knew what, where I belong. And plus, my mother was raised in Harlem too. So it's like I already had the Harlem in me. So with that being said, we live on 137. That's the that's one of the story times that I got jumped. When I was like nine years old by the two fat girls, if you go to my story time, check my story times out, that's where that shit happened at. So we lived in there, boom. When you live in Tattoo, you stay there until you get an apartment or whatever the case may be. So my moms end up getting an apartment on 163rd and Eagle Avenue. Now, this is the years of the adolescent. Like, this is 2000. This is like I'm being exposed to more females. I'm 10. I'm in a new building that's five floors that everybody know everybody, but they don't know the new people, and I am the new people. So I remember my 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 cousin Q. I used to take out the garbage for my mom's or whatever, and he used to just flinch at me. You know what I'm saying? And at this time, like I don't know nobody. I had my f- f- little fights in Harlem. As a matter of fact, let me take it back to Harlem. As a matter of fact, let me tell you about the fight that I had. I used to go out with this girl named Tatiana, this beautiful ass Spanish girl. I was like the only black boy that could get her, bro. She and this other black girl that liked me had a fight. They had a fight over me. And then I think Tatiana ended up breaking up with me. Then her brother, then, he was cool with me, but he didn't like me sometimes. So one time we was in the yard in Harlem, and he just got mad at me. He took his fucking nails and digged this shit into my face. And I just kept decking this nigga. I just kept punching this nigga mad hard to get off my face. Nigga was just clawed like a cat on my face. But that was like my first like little relationship. Like that was like the at the super childish relationship where y'all just kissed. Like this girl, I ain't gonna lie. Like at this time, she was bad. Like she had perfect lips, long hair. Like she was just valid. Like this shit is crazy. Like, but I'm not thinking about sex at the time. It's, it's non-existent. So fast forward. I right, going back to Eagle when I moved back to say when I moved to the Bronx in 2000. This the new millennium. Um, at this era. I lived there from 2000 to 2006, I guess. No, 2005, because 05 is when I went to high school. Yeah, 05 is when I went to high school. So those five years was crazy because I got exposed to sex, drugs, liquor, um, shit. Everything. Everything in total. Everything in total I got exposed to. So 
I could give y'all a few stories. So in 2000, I right, so we living in, we living in um, and once it started Eagle 919, that was the building. Shout out to anybody that's from 919 that lived in there with me. Um, now I remember going through mad shit. Like I remember like son, fucking getting beat up. I remember one time I got snuffed. I ran in the house. We was playing man one day. Everybody found out I ended up getting snuffed. I remember one time I got decked. I ain't do nothing. I remember one time I got slapped and didn't do nothing. I remember jumping niggas. I remember winning all my fights. I remember beating up a nigga so bad that the nigga, I felt bad for the nigga, and I just put my hands on the gate and started letting him deck me. Like, I, this was like the, this is when I gained, like, I, I really found out. This was peer pressure. Then secondly, I really found out, like, uh, the evils in me. Like, this is at the time where we doing fucked up shit to animals and chasing them and hitting them with shit and shit like that. Just all type of fucked up ass shit. Devilish shit. Like, that my mom didn't know about. I remember this is the time when I got my first jury report. Like, I remember we, we jumped some niggas or whatever the case may be. Nigga hit his head on the gate. He went and told the cops. Cops came and got me. Gave us all jury reports. I went upstairs. I thought I was going to get an ass whooping. My mother dead ass didn't give me ass, but she explained to me, like, don't do that again. And, um, shit, just was like, I got a jury report, too, and shit like that, juvenile report. So, it was a lot of going on. We was playing Manhunt at the time. I got exposed to more girls, more girls liking me and shit like that. It was just the time of the adolescence and, 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 and hormones raging. I found out what sperm is. I found out what porno is. Like, it was just that time of that, you know what I'm saying, that specific specific era in my life and you got to understand G when they came out at that time so then you and Dipset was hot and shit like that like it, it was just a time of like great music I remember CDs was hot bootleg CDs I remember blasting the music out the window during that the summers I remember snowboarding down the we had this hill on Eagle we used to snowboard down I hit my back on the fire hydrant I used to have like weak ass ankles like I used to Play basketball, fuck my ankle up all the time. I remember um getting stuck out in Queens, having to walk from Queens all the way to the Bronx. Like it was just a struggle in that. Like that was like really reality for me. Like the things I really found out things I I learned a lot of about myself in that situation. Like just the bad shit. I learned a lot of like I was interested in a lot of the bad shit and I was being a product of my environment and falling into peer pressure. Like I I, I drank liquor with the first time I was like twelve, to be honest with you. And it was like behind my mom back and shit like that. But I'd never been a smoker. I never been interested in smoking. Like at all. So um yeah. I could just take you to two thousand, two thousand and five I could tell you like Harlem Shake was hot. So me coming from Harlem to the to the Bronx, everybody wanted me to Harlem Shake because niggas wasn't really Harlem shaking in the Bronx at that time. They knew it was hot, but niggas couldn't do it, and then I knew it because I was coming from Harlem. So I was very nice at Harlem shaking. Like niggas would always want to see me shake. So I was that. Um, I lost. No, I didn't lose my virginity in that time. I got my first, I remember my first kiss. I had like three girlfriends, bro. I broke up with one of my girlfriends because her breath stink. Like, I really went to go kissing her breath smell like horse hiccups. Like, I, I couldn't take it. Like, I broke up with her. She tried to do some foul shit. Fuck with one of my friends and shit like that. Um, Shit. I had my first black eye. I remember the nigga decked me and I ain't do nothing. And then my mother seen that shit out the window. My mother screamed, my nigga. 
mad shit. Like, just just one of them years that it was the greatest, but then it was, like, it was the greatest because it had a mix of bad and good. It wasn't just straight good. It was, and then you had no worries about rent, the cops, and, and shit like that. Like, you know, just adult shit. So, Boost Mobiles was hot at the time. Boost Mobiles was OD. Gina Tank Tops was hot. Gina Shoes was hot. Rockefeller, Rock, um, Rock, Rockaway Coats and Sean John Coats was hot. Um, shit, I, I remember uh, getting into fights. I remember all that shit. It was just the era of just G, um, 50 dropped his first album. Like, bro, it was just that era, that, that era of that, that real, 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 real good shit. Like, great. Everything was great. Um, I right, getting back to the story, uh shit. Alright, so two thousand and five comes, or whatever the case may be. I'm just summing it up. I really don't wanna waste too much of y'all time. I just wanna give y'all at least twenty five minutes of my life. I don't wanna bore y'all. You know I'm saying as we go along through the podcast, we gonna really get stories that that's that's hilarious instead of me. I just wanna save some of my stories for the story time. I don't wanna bore y'all. Um so as we take it further, 2005, I remember it like it was yesterday. Computers wasn't hot. I had a computer or whatever the case may be. Uh, my mom gave me money to buy a new Boost Mobile because I had this the, the, the Boost Mobile with the that was straight up. It didn't flip. So when you got the ringtones and you hit up on this shit, it just was playing the instrumental and it was playing the childish-ass instrumental. If y'all niggas was born in that era, y'all know, y'all know. Y'all born now. I was born ninety one. Uh, yeah, I, I, my fault. I forgot to even introduce. Like I was born nineteen ninety one, May second, nineteen ninety one. So I'm a Taurus. I was born a day before my mother's birthday. So I'm a blessing to her. Still to this day, I feel like that. But getting back to the story, yeah, my mother gave me about a hundred and fifty dollars to buy my friend's stepfather Boost Mobile because he had the seven thirty. If I'm not mistaken, the shit with the flip and you press up. So I remember putting my head down. I I was chilling in front of the building. To two o'clock, two a.m. I co- I couldn't leave the stoop at two a.m. My mother had to be able to see me, and my mother called me upstairs or whatever the case may be. Um, and I go to sleep, and I remember the rest of my head, and I remember my brother boyfriend coming in my room about five four, and it was like it's a fire. So I'm thinking that the nigga is playing, thinking that the nigga is playing or whatever the case may be. So I look at the window. I look at the window. I just jet out the house. When I jet out the house, it's super smoky in the hallway. So I jet back in the house. I jump back in the house, and I feel like I have time to put stuff on. So I start putting stuff on. My mother is panicking in the house. She's going back and forth, or for whatever the case may be. She's going back and forth. Like she's just panicking. She doesn't know what to do at this point. Um, I jet out the house. Everybody makes it out safe, and my building just burnt down. Like I just had got Xbox. I had Xbox about this. This happened around September 11 of 2005. So I had Xbox about two months. I didn't even have it for long. I had PS2, but I just got Xbox. And my whole building burned down. I just watched my building just go in flames. And I did. The crazy part about it is, is that when I, when that happened, I sensed that I was a, a warrior because I didn't. Not because I didn't cry, because I, I'd been through something that, or was going through something that a lot of people don't make it out. A lot of people become stressed and they. Don't make it back from it. It's just all a big mental thing. And, it's, and when this happened, it was like, it was unbelievable, bro. I like, I went from like a, the only child 
coming up, waking up with everything to not having shit at all. Like, I literally had to get on a bus in slippers, no socks, cheap-ass jogs who, like, I had to do this shit, and it it was a humbling feeling, but it was sad, and I, I really didn't, it didn't hit me at the time. So, I like, I literally watched the shit go in flames. I literally see the flame, seen the flames in the building, seen the shit come down. And I already knew it was over once the firefighters started to bust open my windows, and I'm like, all right, we not making it back. And we didn't have shit out the fire. I only got, like, one bin out the fire. Like, one bin, period, out the fire. So, at like, going through that, it was just, like, humbling. And a lot of people don't know I was homeless. Like, we, we was literally sleeping in schools and hotels and shit for a minute. So, after that happened, Red Cross came or whatever and provided us with McGriddles. Because that's when the first time I went, I ate a McGriddle. I remember that shit. I ate a McGriddle or whatever the case may be. Uh, we get moved to Queens, Queens in the hotel. We lived there for two days or whatever. The case, I, we lived there for two, two days. I don't know why do I keep saying whatever the case may be is annoying. We lived there for two days, and then they sent us to 143rd and Lenox. So when we moved back to one, this is what's crazy is this fire happened my first week in high school, like, Freshman year, I missed about two or three weeks of freshman year. And the school offered me, like, they was like, oh, do you want us to send Cornell clothes? That's my real name, by the way, Cornell. They went, they was like, do you want us to send Cornell clothes or whatever the case? I mean, they was like, do you want me to send? I'm trying to say whatever the case may be. I'm trying to end that shit. I can't stop saying that shit. Um, they was like, do you want me to send Cornell clothes? And he could return to school. And I was just like, my mother had asked me. And I was like, nah, like, I'd rather just, mom, whenever you get the chance, just get it. So when I got back to one four thirty Linux is when the depression started to hit. Like I, I wasn't around my friends anymore that I grew up with, I spent time with, that I considered brothers and family. It was just depressing. I would stay in the house or whatever they like I would stay in the house and just do nothing. Just do nothing at all. Not even play ball. And that ball was my shit. Like I was playing ball six AM in the morning on the basketball courts. Like through those summers that I lived on Eagle. Now that I'm back in Harlem, it's like I'm back in Harlem. And I didn't, it's just like, when you're comfortable in one spot, it's hard for you to adjust. It is not one of those things when you just get up and you go outside and it's the same thing. And it's just not the same type of feeling. It was like very sad. So my aunt lived in the Bronx. I forgot how my mother and my aunt ended up talking about it. And I was just like, can I stay with them for the time being? So I was staying with them. I ended up staying with them for quite a few months. And it was that was a different experience because my aunt was going through relationship problems. And it affected the house. You know what I'm saying? It really affected the house. It was just like too much. Me and my cousin, my cousin AR, shout out to AR. Um, we just went through hell. Like we went through hell. Like my aunt was like super strict. You could go outside, but you got to be back at seven p.m. Like that type of stuff. And I, like, I'm fourteen at this time, and I'm used to being free and wild on Eagle. So it's like having rules and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? It's like it was too. I was always the rebellious type. I was always the outside kid. Like I always wanted to be outside. I wanted to explore. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to find out what's this and what's that. So. Living at my aunt's house for some time. I was going to school, but it's like I wasn't really into school at this time. It's, it got taken away from me because my mom was more of what happened to my systems. I, I had 
video games out the ass. You feel me? I had video games out the ass and the all this thing. My childhood, it felt like my childhood was taken from me. Like, it just, it wasn't taken from me, but it was felt like those years of adolescent and really growing to know you, like, getting to know your body. That's the time of getting to know your body was just, like, damaged. Like, it was just tarnished by the image of, like, the fire. I just kept thinking about that fire. I just kept thinking about that fire. Just kept, kept thinking about that fire. So while I'm living in my aunt house, my mother, the school called my mom's. It was like, yo, Cornell haven't been coming to school because I would just stay home. Like, sometimes I would just stay home. So my mother found out, whatever. The, my mother found out and came in the house and was just like, yo, Cornell, you got to come back to Harlem. So I had my mother made me take my stuff and come back to Harlem. When I came back to Harlem, it was different this time because now, like, I'm getting friends in high school and I'm gaining a team. Like, I'm gaining a team in my freshman year. I'm gaining a team, and we're going to do what it do. And I never, when I went, I moved to 143rd in Lenox. And that's the, that's still to this day the block I claim that I, you know what I'm saying? I moved there in 06. I, I still claim my block. You know what I'm saying? It's still 11 years strong. I, I, the same people I'm cool with from 919, they're my family. And then the people that from 43rd and Lenox, they're my family. So we ping pong back and forth, back and forth. So, moved back to 430 and Lennox or whatever. Like, uh, I was trying to say, saying, whatever the case may be. Move back, yeah, move back to 1430 and Lennox. And at this time, I'm going outside and I'm playing ball, et cetera. Tenth grade start to hit. I start gaining mad weight. I become like, shit, I'm eating bad. I'm just like, because that's from all the staying home and eating. Just hit me. So, I'm gaining mad weight and, uh, 10th grade was the transition of my weight. I became about 210. And I was 210 from 11th grade and 12th grade. My senior year, graduate, I really wasn't worried about losing weight. I was 18, and I was still active playing ball. It meant nothing to me. Like, it never affected my activities because I was still active as far as sports go. So I remember the day I wasn't going to graduate on time. No bullshit. I ran all the way to school from... No, as a matter of fact, all right, so, oh, 2007, I think we lived in the shelter for like a year on Fort Third Lakes, I'm not mistaken. A year or two. Nah, more than a year. Probably 2008, because this is around the time MySpace came out. Time 2008, my mother ended up getting an apartment on Burke Avenue, a house. I said apartment, a house. We lived in a house. African landlord, prejudice against black people. So it was a lot of beef. Too much beef between him, my mother, and him. He was just aggravating. Like he was an aggravating asshole. So that happens. I'm still going back to Fort Third Lennox to spend the night at my friend's because I'm not trying to get comfortable on Wallace. And Wallace, when I was living on Burke and Wallace, it was niggas, everybody knew each other. So I'm not trying to fit in with y'all. And I'm from Harlem. Like I'm not, I'm back in Harlem. So I'm going to Harlem like every weekend. Spend that at my friend's house. Um, still in high school, about to graduate high school. I fast forward. Two thousand and nine comes. I move from there to another spot in the Bronx, which I'm currently at, and been living here since '09. I graduated the day before Michael Jackson died. That shit was crazy. It was. It was real. It was real. That shit was crazy. It was sad. It was a sad. Cause I was in graduation talking about it, and um. Graduate or whatever, now reality hits, I'm 18. 
So, you know, it's like you go from mama's boy to, like, that nigga in the house. Like, so then that end up happening. So you got to get a job. You got to do this and that. I applied to college, and I just couldn't fill college out. Like, I couldn't fill it out. Like, I, I didn't know what I want to do. I didn't want to go for liberal arts. I ended up playing, taking a placement test, still not going. I just didn't want to go to college. I didn't know what I wanted to do, and at that time, ignorant, I felt like money was more important. So I was still being in Harlem Children's Zone, having a little job here and there. I was getting paid to get tutored. Like, why not abuse it? So I was going to my classes, getting my little check or whatever, buying sneakers and stuff like that, graduate. So I end up going to the doctor in, like, 2009 or 2010, and... I know I didn't talk about relationships that much in this because y'all going to get to know me at the time. I want to leave some stuff for interest so y'all can know when I start to get into girls and all that stuff. I gradu- I go to the doctor in 2009. I end up finding out I have diabetes type 2. Now, I'm shocked. Like, fuck. Like, what the fuck I'm going to do? Like, this shit is a killer. So, the depression led to me smoking weed. And I started smoking weed. And at the time, this is why I don't smoke weed to this day. That time in my life when I smoked weed, I had fun, but I was depressed and I wasn't doing my life, nothing with my life. I wasn't, I didn't have a job. I would just smoke weed every day, listen to music, write, and then. Okay. When I was back in the days in eighth grade, I always wrote poetry. I always wrote poetry. Like, I always wrote poems and poetry. Like, I've been interested in poetry. Been interested in it. Even on Eagle. When I was living on Eagle, I used to, like, do kitty rhymes and stuff like that. I always loved Hip-hop, always love rapping. To this day, I still write. I got notebooks full of raps. So, if you take it back to 8th grade 2, I know I'm cutting the story short, but I'm going to get back to where I was at about the diabetes thing. Back in 8th grade is when I, as an only child, I had to learn a defense mechanism. Like, I knew I had to learn defense. I had to learn how to fight. I had to learn everything. I learned how to roast around that time. Eighth grade, and the reason why I was roasting because I couldn't. I was five two. I couldn't physically beat everybody, so I had to clown them and clown them, and I had to find a way to clown them without like cursing and stuff like that, just roasting them. And that's when I like became a rookie. But then I started to get a hang of it. So in high school, I was just perfect, like witty off the top, freestyle. Like I could do this shit. Like it was easy. Roasting became easy. So. Even in high school, I was always the class clown. Like, I would get up and start roasting people. So, this, like, when social media, everybody asks me, why you know how to do this? I've been doing it. It's been easy. It's been easy for me. So, but roasting was a defense mechanism. So, my mother's from down south, but she was, grew, like, she moved here when she was, like, eight. So, with that being said, um, she dressed, like, down southish. So when she used to come to pick me up from school, my mother used to have socks that come up too high. My mother used to wear some dumb stuff, like dumb stuff. I had, my, my, everybody would kind of like, yo, look at Cornell mother, look at Cornell mother. I had to learn how to roast them. Like we call, in New York, we call it snapping and cutting ass. I had to learn how to roast these niggas to get these niggas off my mom. So when niggas don't say nothing about my mom. So every time my mom come, I was prepared, like, who's snapping, who roasting, who cutting ass. So that's how I learned how to roast. And I, I went against the best. I got into fights because of it. And I beat the best people in roasting. It was just like, it was survival of the fittest. It was a survival tactic for me. So fast forward into 
me getting diabetes too, going back to that. I started smoking weed. I wasn't really doing nothing with my life. Um, listening to music heavy. Um, my mother would start to bring me home salads every day. I went, I went from 210 to 190. They put me on medication. It's called metformin. Metformin is like a fake insulin pill form. It makes you lose weight. But when I lost weight, the shit was like the skin was saggy. And that's why I still got these little man boobs now. It's like it always stuck with me because when I was 210, I had them. So when I lost weight, it was saggy. Then I ended up getting a job at Dwayne Reed for some time. I injured my knee. I tore my meniscus in one knee. Then while I was home, I tore my meniscus in the other knee, putting um, weight on it. So now I'll go back up and wait. Still taking my medicine. End up losing weight again. I end up working at Fairway. To, um, injured my knee again. Injured the other knee. So my meniscus twice in both knees. End up gaining the weight. So around last year, like I've been dealing with diabetes from 2009 to 2015. That's about six years. I had a scare because I stopped taking my medicine. I was drinking liquor and drinking like you know what I'm saying I just I just convert at one point I can't really remember the year I just converted to water just only water and to this day I only drink water you should come in my room you're gonna see empty water bottles look empty water bottles I only drink water to this day water if you want to say liquor I don't really drink juice and soda like that so I end up through those years of 2009 and to now or what 2015 whatever to now my fault I always been the computer person, computer savvy. I always been on a computer, gaining knowledge. And on top of that, in high school, I went to a high school that really dominantly taught black history and wanted us to be conscious and wanted us to know what life really is about and how can you succeed in this life, even being born at a disadvantage. So I always knew what life was about. I was always well conscious. So those times that I spent in the house just gaining knowledge, I just, it was just learning, learning. I was just absorbing all the info. You know what I'm saying? And I made my judgment and my critique and my analogies on life and my logics and my theories on life creating my own. Just dealing with experience because experience brings wisdom. So I became conscious or I can't say well woke because it's like, I just became conscious about my surroundings and the government, et cetera, on my own. I taught myself to the point that I started to have conversations with people that were in college. And I can speak on an educated level with them. And it amazes myself. So it started to amaze me. Like, you could really teach yourself if you just have the mind state of, remember, I'm smoking weed, so I'm paying attention. And I'm locked into whatever I want to watch. I'm just watching it straight through. So... At that time, I'm, like, gaining knowledge or whatever the case may be. So, around 2015, I had a scare. I was eating ketchup, and my fingers and my toes kept hurting. So, I went to the hospital. They end up yelling at me, why you don't take your medicine no more, boom, boom, boom. They sent me to a doctor, nutrition. They dealt with taking my blood. I ended up finding out that I don't didn't have diabetes anymore. And, I, like, that's one of the biggest battles of my life is that. Beating down, and a lot of people don't understand when people get diabetes, they go through this depression state of, I'm never going to be the same again. And I want to give hope to those people that have diabetes and tell them, like, nah, bro, life is not over. Life is not over. So that day last year, no, not last year, 2015, or two, I think 2016, 
to the early 2016, I made the decision to join the gym in February, and I stayed in the gym ever since. And I want the people that got diabetes to like really think like and really cherish life because it, diabetes ain't no joke. It could cause amputation, sight can be gone, your speech is slur. For males, you won't probably get an erection. It's a lot of stuff with diabetes, and I want—I don't want them to have no hope. I don't want them to have no hope. Like I really want y'all to really sit there and be aware of what you eat and what you take in, and also exercise. Don't think your life is over. Gain some self-motivation to get out there and exercise. Eat better, because all the stuff that we eat is just not good for us. It's not good for us, and I want us to do better. I want us to encourage other people. I really want to be a spokesman for defeating diabetes type 2, even though the trait still lies in me. And if I choose to eat terribly and taking a lot of starch and stuff like that, it will come back. But I want to give those people hope. Because when I tell people I defeated diabetes 2, they like they saw a ghost. They don't believe it. You know what I'm saying? They don't know the difference between um, diabetes uh, type 1 and type 2. Type 1, you have to take insulin. Type 2 is curable and you get on metformin. They don't think you can beat type 2, and type 2 is the one that's curable. I just want to give those people hope. And that's what I'm here for. Now, going into, we could go backtrack into 2014. 2014, that's when I was in a relationship, or whatever the case may be. I end up finding out about Vine. Because I know everybody want to know how I found out about Vine. I end up finding out about Vine, and I go on there, and I just see everybody being so creative and so funny in six seconds to the point that I was doing shit. I was corny. Like, I was corny. Like, I was doing it with no followers, just being a combo and being funny. You know what I'm saying? With no with no followers, and I just wasn't getting no retweet. I mean, revines, revines. And then um, T-Centric of Team Underdogs had seen me, and he was like, yo, you want to join the team? Excuse me. And I was like, yeah, I joined the team. He said, whatever, I'll join the team. And he like, I he joined the team. But he not really retweeting. I mean, we we vining our shit. We really was working for our own shit. Everybody was just on their own, working for their own shit, trying to outdo each other. You had me, Young Poppy, Fly Mall, and Young Poppy got a million followers now. You had like a whole bunch of people just like hustling, hustling, hustling. I started getting into it, and I started finding out other people was cool, and people was the same sign, and certain niggas was from the same place as me, or they was from a different place, but the same type of demographics, and it was like girls up there, and it was shit like that, and I, I end up becoming like real popular on that shit, and people would inbox me like. Yo, I'm going through this, and I don't know why they always felt like I had their answer, but I would take the time out or whatever I was doing to give them advice and try to help them. I had a lot of young girls tell me, oh, I'm insecure about this, and I would try to have other women speak to them, and I would speak to them myself and try to help them out these situations because it's needed for black people. We need to do more of that. And then I just end up traveling, traveling. I've been to, what, 13, 10 states in that year, like Philly, Philly fucking... Maryland, D.C., Virginia, Orlando, I mean, Florida, Alabama. I've been in, like, crazy states. And I was just traveling, and just, it was just an experience. It was a moment. It was great. Vine was great. You had your ups and you had your downs. You had your times when you got to argue with people because y'all in the same place for too long. Y'all going to end up arguing. You feel me? And it was just social media became big into the human, into the human race at that time, and I adjusted to it. I adjusted to it quickly. You know what I'm saying? I I, I find like 
humanity was just changing at this point. Because people didn't have to be funny in person, but they could be funny on the app. Men didn't have to approach women in person. They could approach them on the app and seem like a totally different person. And nobody knows each other's background. Nobody knows each other's history. So it was like a fresh start. And I end up meeting, I end up, you know, doing promos. I'm looking like, damn, people send you three fifty for a promo and $200, $350. I was just, like, enjoying it. And I was enjoying the popularity I was getting out of it. I never let it get to my head. I never let it make me lose my sanity. I was enjoying it. But certain times I was down and I felt like it was, like, you trying to chase that first high you got when you just, like, doing too much and having too much fun. But I adjusted to it, and I, and today Vine is shut down. And oh, Vine was easy for me. Let me talk about that. Vine was easy for me because I was already been in the class clown. So five seconds, six seconds was even better. Like I was being funny in six seconds, and I watched people like DC Youngfly become big. So many people, and I, I'm glad to see them doing good and doing better, and not stuck in the same spot because these these motherfuckers had talent. These motherfuckers had talent. Um. It just adjustment with Vaughn was easy for me. Yeah. The roasting and all that shit. They was paying niggas to roast. I got money from winning a roast contest. It was just it was a low key society. It was like a society. It was like a family on there too. You meet people you have fallouts with, and you meet people that you stuck with, like because they just show their loyalty, and they y'all just have the same type of personality. You don't you have the same intentions as that person, and that person is not jealous of you, and you just become friends, and you just become friends off the app to the point that y'all invite each other to each other's house, and it's, it goes from there. So, um, yeah, via social media, and then we here now with me. Like, YouTube seeing that I was still popular on Vine, they reached out to me, and they wanted to work with me, and it's like I'm choosing to work with them. I wasn't able to make my trip out to L.A., and I had an invitation to because I ended up getting screwed over by my second job, Macy's, in which mad people said I should have started a Kickstarter and et cetera, but I really feel like it's a better plan for me. Like I just got to wait for my turn. I can't really sit there and be jealous of the next man of what he doing, and I can't rush my plan. God, don't make no mistakes. And we here today, and you're just looking at Corey Cash. Go Cash, the person you seen on Vine, that's the same person. And I just want to, this is my first podcast. I hope y'all enjoyed it. Um, I just want to thank y'all just for even watching my podcast and listening to my podcast. Shit, man, it should mean a lot to me, man. And I'm going to have more podcasts coming for you in the future. And... I don't know. I just it's gonna get crazy because I'm gonna have different type of people, childhood friends, and people I barely know. Um, I don't want to separate them, but I want to say gay people, transgender people. I have a couple of friends, and I want to ask them questions that you know straight men want to know, or the society want to know how they feel and how they found out. You know what I'm saying? And rappers, strippers, whatever, whatever I could find that I like. That the people demand or I'm really interested in, in getting to know them. And I want to put them in an environment where they're comfortable and I can ask them. And I don't want to be an awkward interview or awkward session for them. So, that's basically it, to be honest with you. I'm ending this at, I know it's been a minute. I'm ending this at 40, 40 minutes. 
It's going to be a long motherfucking video. If you're interested in really knowing who Corey Cash is, and I just broke down the basics, I didn't really get intricate in every detail of my life, but I really gave you a lot of my life at the same time. So with that being said, I just want to say peace and thank you. Like, subscribe, comment. Do whatever you can, man. Peace out. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.